All right, children, head off to Children's Church, ages, I guess, four through fifth grade. And while the good news is you don't have to take a test this morning, so be thankful you get to go to Children's Church. Your mommies and daddies, they have the joy of taking a test again this morning. Well, it sounds better if we call it a quiz. Test seems a little strong. So I hope you, um, I hope you got your quiz this morning when you came in along with your sermon notes. Go ahead, and if you haven't already, I'm going to give you a few moments and take the quiz. Today we'll be looking at the, the Holy Spirit and um, the theology and, and doctrine surrounding that. So go ahead and take a few minutes and uh, take your quiz there. See how well you know the Holy Spirit. Everybody done? Y'all okay? All right, let's see how we do. Rumor is that a couple of our elders didn't do so well on the last quiz, so we're taking applications for new elders. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, um, I'm teasing. And uh, next week, uh, just to be clear, I, I may have uh, misspoken to Lee. We were trying to get on this, um, get these announcements. Uh, the deacon ordination, I will preach about that, and that will be part of the, the service at 915. It will extend... In up to 11, and then we'll have a time of fellowship at 11.15 or so to celebrate the deacon ordination. So it won't be a separate event at 11. It'll be part of the 9.15 service. So we have, um, I think it's nine deacons. Uh, it'll be our first group of deacons to be ordained. So that's an exciting time for them and their families. And so if you could come and celebrate that uh, with us, that would be great. So that'll be all woven in as part of the service as best I can. So uh We'll try to get you out of here before 2 o'clock next week. So, uh, All right, question number one. The Holy Spirit has the whole fullness of God's being in Himself. True or false? True. True. As we'll see today, the Holy Spirit is fully God. No less God. You, you, see, that, you see that all throughout Scripture. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a force. False. The Holy Spirit is not a force. This is in Star Wars. May the force be with you. I, it just don't work that way. As much as Clay is depressed by that fact, the Holy Spirit is a person. His works declare that. His nature declares that. Um, we'll see today the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. We'll see in Acts 5. The Holy Spirit is a person. Person. Three, again, Tony talked about this three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago uh, with the Trinity. There are three persons. The same nature, distinct personhood, not a force. The new birth or regeneration is accomplished by the Spirit when and where He pleases. True or false? True. John 3, 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is intricately involved in regeneration, the new birth. Uh, number four, the legal basis for a sinner's justification is the good works the Spirit produces within them. True or false? False. False. Justification, Romans 4, justification is apart from works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 said, It is by grace you have been saved, by faith, not of works, lest anyone would boast. Works do not merit salvation. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Uh, later on there in verse 10, he calls us enemies. It's apart from, apart from works. So Romans 3.20, 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh, you know, Philippians 3.9 speaks to that as well. Number five, the presence of the Holy Spirit producing Christ-likeness within believers means it is possible for them to become perfectly righteous in this life. False. We, we'll battle sin the rest of our lives. Now, we have been declared righteous positionally. But practically, we still sin. The, 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 the walk of this Christian life is producing more and more Christ-likeness, less and less of Christ. But the, the reality is, is we're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. At the core, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We're going to battle with sin the rest of our lives. Now, we ought, that, not to make, that ought not make us comfortable with sin. We don't let our guard down and say, well, I'm just a sinner. That, that's, that's bad theology. Fight it. The reality of the mark of a Christian, the mark of a Christian is they hate their sin. And it's the Holy Spirit in them convicting them of that, and they hate their sin. And we can put to death. Romans, we'll see it today. If you walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 8, 12, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. But that's a constant battle. Six. After sinners are reborn and justified, the Spirit continues to work within them to make them like Christ. True or false? True. Yeah, that's the whole point. You look at Romans 8.31, it's very clear that we would be formed in the image of Christ. John 3.30, less of me, more of Christ. Ephesians 4 says that we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. We are being transformed into His likeness. As believers, that's sanctification. We have been, we've been declared righteous and then practically we're moving in that, in that direction to which we have been declared. Absolutely. We are t more of us. Matthew 5, I mean, um, Daniel sang about it. Let your light shine before men that seeing your good deeds, they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. So number seven, becoming holy is a matter of letting go of all effort and letting the Spirit do His work within Him. Be that's false. Be careful. I realize there's a great theology out there, let go and let God. You need to let go of that theology is what you need to let go of. That's what needs to be let go of. You, you, you don't, you look at the scriptures. You look at 2 Peter 1, applying all diligence, see to it that you add to your faith. All throughout, all throughout scripture, we play a role. We'll see it today. The, the main point I want to get to today, Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word means controlled. Constantly, day by day, we play a part. We play a part. That's, even in Philippians 2.12, it says, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for His good pleasure. The reality is that the Holy Spirit living in you gives us the ability to move in that direction, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to take that which is in us and move it to the outside of us, that when people see us, they see Christ. It, it, nothing in the Word of God about let go and let God. Nothing. And that, that is one of those instances where it sounds good. It sounds good. It's just not biblical. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, number eight. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, not His divine nature, during His life on earth. That's true. That's true. 
You go to Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. The, the, Jesus, Jesus, go to John 6, 38. He's, Jesus says, I don't do anything unless the Father, I don't do anything that, unless the Father tells me to do it. I'm totally dependent on the Father. And, and, and at his baptism, the Holy Spirit was given to him in his, in his humanity. Again, he didn't cheat on, on obedience. He, he was fully human. And he relied, again, leaving us an example. And he trusted the Father. He relied upon the Father to guide and direct there. So we have, to, we have to be careful. We have to be careful with these. And, and that's really why we're, why we're doing this. Not to discourage, but just to realize that, that, that some false theology creeps into our minds and into our hearts. And, and, and the reality is, is right theology results in right living. Bad theology results in bad living. Our theology matters. And today I want to jump into the, to the Holy Spirit. And Tony and I, last week, he was... We were texting back and forth, and he was, um, misery loves company, I think, and he was just sharing to me how difficult it is to try to give a theology of Christ in 35 minutes. Well, guess what? It's the same true with the Holy Spirit. There, there's a lot about the Holy Spirit that great stuff. It's, you're just not going to get it today, and you can share your thank yous later. We'll be here long enough, but we need to understand the Holy Spirit. I, I believe that as believers, the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit and even a right understanding of the Holy Spirit is key. A misunderstanding, the whole let go, let God, you know, the, 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 the misunderstanding about the, even the, our walk as believers boils down to, in some ways to a right theology regarding the Holy Spirit. As believers, how then shall we live? And, 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 and so I, I want to... I wanna, encourage us with that today and i want to get to that and then I, i'm not big on these but i do this morning i want to give us an illustration that that uh, a picture is worth a thousand words and so i want to i want to share that as we as we close today so i want to make sure we get to there but but i want really today we're only we're only touching the tip of the iceberg with regards to the holy spirit there's so much there but but i at least want to give us a a a framework a, a base to begin an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so you'll see on your handout the first point, the Holy Spirit is fully God. If you were to go to Genesis 1-1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. If you were to go to Genesis 1-26, God says, let us make man in our own image. If you were to go to Genesis 3-22, after Adam and Eve have sinned, God says they will become like us. You go to John, you go to Jesus' baptism in, in Matthew 3, you have the Son, you have the Father, you have the Spirit there. He's fully God. As Tony again shared a few weeks ago, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, one nature. If you, when you think about the Trinity, it may be easier for you to think of tri-unity, total unity amongst them but fully God. If you were to go to Acts 5.3 with Ananias and Sapphira, they, Ananias and Sapphira, they withhold, they sell a piece of land, they withhold it, what the actual sale was, and, and if you were to read in 5.3, it says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? 
Before it was sold, it did not belong to you. And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? And then here's the point. How have you thought of this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Right there in Acts 5, Peter equates the Holy Spirit to God. Lying to the Holy Spirit was lying to God. If the Holy Spirit, we have to understand, is fully God. And if when we get to where we're going today, it, it'll be imperative that you understand that. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, listen to what it says. For to us, the Spirit revealed, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. How would he know, how would he know God? Because he is. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Look, nobody knows my thoughts better than me. Same with God. The, the spirit is fully divine if we were to go to romans romans chapter 8 verses i'm going the wrong way here romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 11 read it real quick however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god dwells in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him again you see all three if christ is not in you if christ is in you though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you He's not a force. He's a person, and he's the spirit is fully divine. You say again. You see, the spirit of Christ is one that is the same with the spirit of God. As far back as you go, you see all three, fully divine. But not only is the Holy Spirit fully God. Number two, the Holy Spirit, was, and, and there's a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this can be confusing to people. The Holy Spirit resided in people temporarily in the Old Testament. So he would come upon people for a specific task in the Old Testament. There all along, but he would come upon people for specific tasks. For instance, and here's where you see it. You, in, in, uh, in different examples, I'm going to go to, uh, I'll go to uh, Judges to, to look at Samson. By the way, uh, Judges 16.22, a lot of people, the name it, claim it, theology, you can have all your promises of prosperity. I love 16.22. It says how Samson had sinned. Samson gets, just the grace of God shows up and it says, however the hair of his head began to grow. That's my verse. I'm claiming that verse. You can have all your verses, but I love Judges 16, 22. It says of Samson, but his hair began to grow. I'm, I'm praying that one. I'm praying it. But anyway, in Judges 14, 6, it says of Samson, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, through a, though he had nothing in his hand. And again, you see that numerous times in Samson's life. You see it in, you see it in Joseph's life. You see it in, in Joshua. You see it in Saul. 
The Spirit's indwelling was specifically related, you see it on your handout, to enabling somebody to do a particular task. The Spirit of God would come upon them mightily, and they would perform a, a specific task. You, you see the, the, that in 1 Samuel 10, with regards to Saul, God, Israel in 1 Samuel 8, they, they, tell, they say, we want a king like all the other nations. Through Samuel, God warns them, what's that going to look like? They say, hey, we don't care. We want a king like all the other nations. God gives them Saul. And it says in 1 Samuel 10, 9, the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul and he prophesied among them. But later, we know in chapter 13 and 15, Saul offers a sacrifice that wasn't his responsibility. God tells him in chapter 15 to go in and destroy everybody and he keeps back. The best, again, his wisdom over God's wisdom. He thinks he knows better than God. And in 1 Samuel 15, in 1 Samuel 16, it says, The Spirit of the Lord turned away, departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. It would appear that David understood this. You see, after his sin with Bathsheba, he he has an affair with Bathsheba, who is a who is a, a, a married woman, not married to David. He ends up killing Uriah, his wife. And in, Psalm, and, and in Psalm 51, a great psalm of repentance for David, David says, do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me in verse 11 there. David did not want happen to, what happened to Saul to happen to him. And so you see throughout the Old Testament that the Spirit would come upon individuals, would settle on individuals for a particular task to accomplish something to the glory of God. In the New Testament, we see something totally different that is amazing. And it's something that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Number three on your handout, the Holy Spirit resides in people permanently beginning in the church age. The very thing that Jesus told his disciples to wait for in Jerusalem was what? The Spirit. The Spirit. And, and you see this all throughout. The, the Spirit permanently resides in, in you and I, believer, today. It says in Romans 5, And the hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He dwells in you. If you were to go to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he says that the Spirit is a, is a, you have been sealed with the Spirit. He says, in Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge. The word there, pledge, literally means down payment. God gives a huge down payment to you to guarantee future payments, to guarantee what? He's coming back. You're His. If you go to Romans 8, you would see very clearly verse 9, the mark of a Christian, what sets apart a person as a Christian is the possession of the Holy Spirit. He, he resides in us permanently. And, and again, very different. And that was beginning at Pentecost. Jeremiah 31, 31, Ezekiel 36, 26, both say, look, I will put my spirit in you. It's a promise. Again, the mark of a believer is 
the Spirit. You go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or, or by hearing of faith? Again, it's the, it's the possession of the Spirit. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Again, the common mark of a believer, he says, whether you're Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free, the, the thing that binds us, the commonality, is the possession of the Holy Spirit. If you were to go over to Jude 19, we're not. He says very clearly that the, the absence of the Spirit is the mark of a non-believer. We're, we're going to go there and park here in, in just a minute, but John 14, 16 is huge. He says, I will ask, Jesus has just told his disciples in John 14, I'm leaving you. And that's where he said, they were all dismayed. And he said, do not, do not be dismayed, for I go to prepare a place for you. For if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to my father's house, very place, and I'm coming back. And in response to this, he says, in response to their dismay, if you will, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Forever. There's a permanence there. If we were to go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Or do you not know that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price? Therefore, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The, the reality is the permanence, the dwelling, the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you it is truthfully part of what makes sin as a believer so awful. Paul, Paul talks about in that very context, when you join yourself to a prostitute, you don't only join yourself, you're joining God because he dwells in you permanently. That's what made it so really grotesque. The, the word there in 1 Corinthians six nineteen for temple is naos. It's the very word that in the, in the Hebrew was used for the holy of holies. It signified the very place where the presence of God dwelled, where the priest would go in once a year and he would make an offer, a sacrifice for not only his sins and not only other priest's sins, but the sins of the whole people. And if he went in there and there was any sin in him, guess what happened to the priest? He died. If he went into the Holy of Holies unclean, he died. That's the same word, naos, N-A-O-S, and Tony can correct my pronunciation there, or enunciation, but it's the holy of holies. That's what Paul is trying to explain to them, that, that why you, you're, you're messing around with this worldly, secular stuff. Why is it so awful? Because you're the holy of holies. The Spirit of God dwells in you, believer. He has set you apart. He has, he has given His Spirit, put His Spirit in you to mark you off as His. And, and that he'll be with us forever. And what we see is, is through Ephesians 1.13, you see it in our handout, the Holy Spirit is seen as a down payment that guarantees our future glorification. When you buy a house and you go in and you put a 50-60% down payment on the house, not that anybody, I don't do that, but I hear that people do that. Like we had to scrounge, we like, can we get to 20% so we can avoid PMI? But the point is this, you go in and you put, let's say the house is 300000 you give them $180,000. You know, what does that tell the bank? 
tells the bank that the other 120 is coming. Because if it doesn't come, you know what? You lose your 180 and you lose your house. That's the picture Paul is saying to, to you and I today. God has left his spirit, the Holy Spirit with you, a helper. And Jesus is saying, in my absence, I'm leaving you a helper. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But I'm coming back. Why? Because I've put a down payment in you that guarantees I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back. I'm going to make good on my down payment. The, what, what, in, in Ephesians, he says again, it, it's a seal. In, in those days when, a, when a, an authority or a king would write a letter, you've seen it, he would dip a seal in ink and he would stamp the seal on the back of that envelope. And this, what the seal did was guarantee that everything inside that letter is, is, carries authority. Everything inside that letter is guarantees that what I wanted you to know is in this letter. If you got that letter and the seal was broken, you would have no confidence that what was in the letter was indeed what the king or the man in authority or the person in authority had originally wrote. Does that make sense? You've seen it on movies. They'll take that ink and they'll seal it. That's literally the picture God has sealed you, believer, with the Holy Spirit. He has marked you off. Almost like if you were in a rancher, you would brand a cattle. You take a branding iron, you would brand that cattle, and it would mark off this cattle belongs to this individual. And everyone who saw it would know. That, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit marks you off, believer, as belonging to God. It, it identifies us. And it's permanent. Jesus himself says, he, he will be with you forever. That's what Mar it was, that was what was so amazing about it. But, but fourthly, I want us to see today, the Holy Spirit quickly imparts believers with certain gifts that equip us to serve the body and to glorify God. If you just, it's, it's neat the way that God's word is. If you want to do a study on gifts, Think of 12s and 4. You have Ephesians 4, you have 1 Corinthians 12, and you have Romans 12. Those are the main chapters that speak to the, to the, to the giving of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Again, the Spirit giving out gifts as he wills. Romans 12, 3, for, though the grace, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. Literally, the picture there is like a measuring cup and the Holy Spirit giving out each of you a measure of faith. The question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond? If you were to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, he, he says the same thing. He says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. God in his grace the Holy Spirit has given you. These are not natural abilities. These are spiritual gifts. At the point of salvation, He has given you specific gifts in order to carry out your mission, but also in order to serve the body of Christ. Specific gifts. 
These are not for your glory. They're not to be used for your glory. They're to be used for the glory of God. God has gifted each and every one of you specifically for the task at hand. Through the residing of the Holy Spirit permanently inside of you. You're fully equipped. You can go to 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. See to it that you, applying all diligence, there's that let go and let God, applying all diligence, see to it that you add to your faith, and it goes on. But, but where I want to get to us today, and where, where I really feel like the, the, the link in the, the chain, or really the, the misunderstanding takes place, is, is number five on your, what all this means. What's practically, practically, day by day, what does all this mean? And then that's where number five comes in. Although we are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we must be filled with the Spirit if we are to experience the fullness of the Christian life and complete our mission. That word filled, it, 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 turn to Ephesians 5.18. Turn there in your Bibles. Do a little sword drills here. Right after Galatians, right after First and Second Corinthians, right after, which is right after Romans. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul writes. This is in the context of him saying, starting verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. At the moment of conversion, at the moment that you became a Christian, you were, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You, you received the Holy Spirit. The, the presence is there. The issue is a yielding to that Spirit. The, the word filling there in Ephesians 5.18, it literally means controlled. Controlled. And, and you and I understand, whatever fills you, controls you. You fill yourself up with drugs, the drugs begin to control you. You fill yourself up with alcohol, the alcohol begins to control you. That, that Paul is using that as an illustration. Whatever you're full of controls you. That's the point he's making. And, and although the Spirit permanently resides in every believer, the Spirit must be yielded to in order to experience the fullness and the blessing of, of having the Spirit. And you see, you'll see in your handout there a couple of comments about Ephesians 5.18. Being filled with the Spirit is a command. Therefore, it's not natural. It doesn't automatically happen. Again, not, I don't mean to pick on it, but it, there's none of let go and let God. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Put yourself in a position to be filled with the Spirit. But not only is it a command, being filled with the Spirit is conditional. It's conditional. Meaning how you approach it and how you obey it and how you seek it is going to dictate your experience there. But not only that, being filled with the Spirit is repeated. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day posture or pursuit, if you will. It literally, in Ephesians 5.18, if you were reading it in the Greek, it would read, continually being filled with the Spirit. 
And what we see here and what we have to understand is you see it on your handout. Being filled with the Spirit is a daily, moment-by-moment trust and reliance upon God. Unfortunately, when you got saved, you know, it, it wasn't just like you just get a new motor and you just, you just go on autopilot. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. And, and in the Greek, it is, is what's called a present imperative. It means that it is repeated event. And my fear is that this is the missing component in so many believers' lives. The role of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit, the controlling. If we're going to live out the Christian life rightly, we need the Spirit and its control. And my fear is that far too many Christians are not experiencing the enabling power, literally God in you, the hope of glory. They're not experiencing that. That, that many of us have approached Christianity with this idea that it's simply do the best I can in the flesh to conform my life to a bunch of standards. And it, it's an outward, it's a get up your, your versus filling of the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to work through you. Literally, it's me trying to imitate God in the flesh versus God imitating himself through me. That's the difference. And God has put the Holy Spirit in our lives for that reason. And, 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 and the challenge is what we end up saying is, well, no one's perfect. We all have our weaknesses and I'm doing the best I can. I know God understands. And, and look, no one is perfect. But that's not an excuse for sin. That's not an excuse for being lazy with our walk. It's not an excuse for coddling certain sins. The, the, we can assume that we're doing our best, but again, it, it doesn't alter the fact that God has given us abundant resources to go way beyond that which we could do ourselves, namely the Holy Spirit in us. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come life. I have come that they would have life and have it to abundance. The difference, the, the re, we read that verse and we look at our lives and the reason there's a gap, I believe it's the work of the Spirit. The missing link is the Spirit. Why are so many of us not experiencing that abundant life? It's because we're trying to imitate God in our own flesh versus, a la, versus filling up the Spirit in us, and allowing God to imitate Himself through us. That's the difference. And, and I don't, our, is, is our best what God wants? I don't think so. Why? Because then you and I get the credit. You and I get the credit. He, he wants faith in His best. The Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the, the Spirit to empower us and experience that power to live the Christian life, not to do our best in our own strength, but in the strength that God provides. That's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 1.29, which after we finish this series, we're going to go into Colossians. And, and Colossians, I, I, I've been, I began reading uh, uh, last night in, in depth of the study of Colossians and just... Um, just the preeminence of Christ. Just the awesomeness of Christ. There's even in Paul's day, but even in our days, there's so many movements to diminish the, the preeminence, the, the, the prominence of Christ in our lives. Last night I was, telling, I was talking to Karen trying to figure out what's a word that we, what did we park on? Do you remember? 
It was late. Above all or something like that. Trying to figure out how to be cute and clever and name the series. But Paul says in Colossians 1.29, he says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Paul was not trying to live for his glory or that he would get the credit. Paul was striving based on the ability and the power of God at work in him. He was filling with, of the Spirit. Again, Philippians 2.12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse, but we stop there. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The strength that I serve in to work out my salvation is actually me yielding and me feeding the power of God in me. Therefore, He gets the credit. And listen, because of human weakness, none of us are going to live the Christian life perfectly. We're not going to keep the law. We're not going to obey rightly. And the challenge is, if we could live the Christian life without God's enablement, why would God have left us the Spirit? If we could do it on our own, why would He have left the Spirit? Again, in the context of John 14, it's it's in the very context of disciples being distraught that Jesus is leaving. And Jesus comforts them by saying, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. And this is very, it's very significant here. That is significant. And you, you see on your hand now, we have a mission that we were never intended to do on our own and thus God sent the Spirit. Why? Because if I could do it on my own, who gets the credit? I do. I get the credit. And if you feel overwhelmed when you think of the Christian walk, when you think of the Christian life, if you're overwhelmed at sharing your, sharing your faith, I was so... I, you guys have some awesome kids. I mean, we, we went to camp a couple weeks ago, and, and um, it was a missions, it was M-Fuge missions, and they put our kids in awkward positions in the sense of it forced them to do some things that they ought to be doing, that all of us ought to be doing, but that many of us avoid. For instance, walking up and down a beach and just walking up to people and initiating conversations, probably not number one on your to-do list today. And, and yet, so many of our kids, fearful, nervous, worried, and yet they did it. I, I remember Maggie Miller, for instance, and this other uh, girl about her age. We were literally standing there. We could have very easily just kept walking up and down the beach. and act, no, There was an older couple sitting back there, and, and they were, I said, look, you know for sure they're not going to beat you up, so at least go back there. Come on, they ain't gonna, they're not going to run from you either. Just let's go. So they went on their own and for probably 15, 20 minutes shared with this couple. Not, not in their own strength. Again, it was good. It was, it was, I sat there just watching them, very proud for their, for their parents, very proud as a pastor, as a friend. Seeing them do what we're called to do. And if, listen, if sharing your faith is overwhelming, if witnessing is overwhelming, if living it out, listen, you're in good company. It was never meant to be done on our own. It was meant to be done by God living through us, by us yielding to the Spirit 
filling of the Spirit, and then literally God living it out through us. Why? So that He would get the credit. And, and so in John 14, Jesus has told them, I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you. And they're distraught. They, they feel like they're going to be left as orphans. And he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It, it, better than that, in John 16, 7, he actually says, it's to your advantage that I go away. You see on your handout, Jesus' departure and the sending of the Holy Spirit was to their gain. That's amazing in and of itself. But in John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The, the word helper there is, is literally, uh, uh, the, the Greek word would be paraclete. It, mean, it, it would be comforter. It would be someone who comes alongside of another. The word literally means one who is called alongside. It was used to speak to somebody who gave support to another person. One who aided, one who gave strength. The Holy Spirit's job, the role there is to come alongside and give aid to believers. The, the word another in the Greek, when you say another, another can be two different ways. It can be another of a different kind. So if I say, hey, if you lose your car, let's say, and I say, I'm going to give you another car, a question needs to be asked. Is it another, another car could be a different car, or another could be of the same kind of car in which you used to have. Does that make sense? So another can be a totally different kind, or another can be another of the same kind. What Jesus says here is this, I'm leaving you, but my Father is going to send the Spirit, and He's going to be the exact same helper that I offered to you when I was with you. Do you see the beauty there? You're not orphans. In my absence, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be exactly as if I was walking with you. The same kind. I, I hear people all the time say, well, if I was the disciples and I was walking with Jesus, I'd do things. No, 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 that's not true. Because you have Jesus, you have the Spirit in you now, the same helper. You don't obey now, you wouldn't obey then. If most of us were, if most of us were alive in the New Testament, you know who we would have been? Pharisees. I promise you, you and I would have been Pharisees. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The same, the same helper that Jesus was physically to the disciples is who the Holy Spirit is to, is to you and I. Helper. Divine member of the Trinity. Same qualities, characteristics. You say, what does the Holy Spirit come alongside to do? Well, if you were to look through Scripture, you see them on your handout. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit teaches but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all that I said. If you go down to John 15, 26, it said the Holy Spirit testifies to us about Christ. When the Helper comes, whom I, will send, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. If you go to John 16, 13, it says the Holy Spirit guides us. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. If you go to John 16, 8, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts. He, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
If you go to Romans 8, 26, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes. It says, for we do not know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. He intercedes on our behalf. The, the way that looks is this. I think I know what to pray for, and I pray, and the Holy Spirit literally takes that prayer and sort of interprets it better and presents it to the Father. Intercedes on us. Think about that. Not only is Jesus Christ our advocate, 1 John 2, 1. Little children, I write these things to you so you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have a what? We have an advocate. We have an intercessor as well in the, in the Holy Spirit. He intercedes for us, reinterpreting our prayers, the helper. Same as when Christ was with them. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but you go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19... Uh, you know, that you are a temple, your body is a temple. He has taken up residence, permanence abode in our, our bodies. You think about this. What was the difference between the disciples when they were all huddled up in that upper room, scared to death to leave, and when they went out and most of them gave their lives for the gospel? You know what the difference was? The Spirit. The Spirit. Power. And, and if, if we're honest, that's, that's probably what's missing. If you were to trace, if you were to trace the, the filling of the Spirit in the New Testament and the, the falling of the Spirit on the top of a person in the, in the Old Testament, what was it for? The, the common denominator in every... If you were to trace it, all the cases, it came to fulfill their mission. 99% of the time, what would they do when the Holy Spirit came upon them? They would speak the gospel. They would speak the truths of God. What's probably the greatest fear that we have as Christians? It's going up to somebody and speaking the truths of God. It's a filling. The power's there. We're, we're just not, we're not tapped into it. We're not yielded to it. When, when the Spirit came to, to bring God glory, to achieve God's purposes every time. If you go to John 16, again, that's exactly what he says. He will, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And the issue in our lives, believer, it's not presence, it's filling. If you're a believer in here today, you have been sealed with the Spirit. You don't need more of the Spirit. You need to yield to the Spirit that is in you. It's filling. It's control. Because this is what happens. If you go to Romans 8, 12 and, and, and Galatians 5, 16. So then, brethren, the, your, your battle and my battle is with sin. It is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It is fighting sin. You will not do that on your own strength. My flesh will never crucify my flesh. My flesh will only gratify my flesh. But the Spirit has been given us to crucify the flesh. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
If you go to Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not on the law. Walking by the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, that's how we crucify the flesh. That's how we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And the, the, the proof is in the pudding. If you go on in Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh, here, here, the deeds of the flesh, when you're living by the flesh, here's what you get. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, the things of which I forewarn you. And he, it's interesting, he said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the fruit of the flesh. He immediately goes on in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Look at your life. He goes on to say, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. You don't have to, you don't have to yield to your flesh. God's given you the Spirit. And the goal, listen, the goal of the Christian life is not good behavior. It's not the avoidance of major sins. Most of the world, let's agree, most of the world will not commit physical murder. Agreed? That's not Christianity. The goal of Christianity, the purpose of Christianity is Christ being formed in you that when the world sees you, they see Christ. That literally all of us as believers would be little Christs running all over the world giving an example. If you were to go to Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make a man in our image. Literally, in, in, in those days when an when a army went into battle, they would have in front of them, they would have a picture of the sovereign of which they were fighting for or, or on behalf of who they were fighting they would be fighting and they would be bearing his image. Literally what we are as Christ, we're Christ bearers, we're image bearers. You represent Christ everywhere you go. Just like your kids represent you everywhere you go, we represent Christ. We represent him. And whereas Christ, when he was there, this is part of what he, when he was with his disciples, he was isolated to one location at one point in time. Think about today. We have millions and millions and millions of little Christs running all over the world that are, that are opportunity to share the gospel and share the truths of Christ, share that, the sins of the, of, that our sins can be forgiven all over the world at the same time. But the only way that will happen is through the power of the Spirit. And God gave us the Spirit to accomplish that. Again, Paul says in, in Galatians 4.19, My children, I am again undergoing birth pains until what? Christ is formed in you. The goal is that Christ would be formed in you. And who better to form Christ in you than the Spirit of God? And again, the, the word formed there, it's a beautiful word. It, it's the concept of giving outward expression to inward character. That which is in you, work it to the outside of you. That's Christianity. That's Philippians 2.12. Take that which is in you 
and work it to the outside of you. That when people see you, who do they see? They see God. They see Christ. And Paul is praying for Christ to be outwardly expressed, again, under the power, in the power of the Spirit. It wasn't just external conformity. It was that He would be formed in you. Passive, formed. You present yourself and and He forms Himself in you. And every single believer, again, every single believer has been indwelt with the Spirit. Every single believer has all the resources and power necessary for an abundant, Spirit-filled life. The, the, problem is not put, the problem is not with presence, it's with yielding to that presence. It's with yielding to the control and filling of that presence. It's there. Be filled. And if you were to go to Colossians 3.16, again, beautiful verse. It, Colossians, much of Colossians mimics Ephesians. And in Colossians 3, verse 16, it is the exact same paragraph as what you see in Ephesians 5, except here's what Paul says in, in Colossians. The filling of the Spirit is replaced with this. Let the Word of God richly dwell within you. I think Paul is telling us there, how, how, do, how do we feel, how do we feel, get full of the Spirit in the sense of being controlled by the Spirit? It's this, letting the Word of God richly dwell within us. Because listen to me, whatever fills us, controls us. When you get in a tough situation, what comes to your mind, the flesh or the Spirit? Whatever fills you, controls you. And again, I'm not, I'm not big on these, but I, I want to uh, share an illustration that, that may bring this home. Whatever fills us, controls us. And, and imagine, imagine this is you. You're, you're sealed. You're here, you're sealed. This, this is you. If you were to take, this is water, and really this is a demonstration of how impure our water might be here, but I got this out of the faucet, not out of the filtered stuff, so... Stay away from the kitchen water, unless you boil it, I guess. But listen, if you, if, guys, if we, if we come to God's Word and we're dabbling in God's Word, guess what happens? Not a whole lot different. If, if every now and then we're coming to God's Word and casual about church, we're casual about obedience, look, See what happens? At first, there was a little bit of spark. You know what happens? It just dissipated. A week later, maybe two weeks later, we come back, we need another high, and we get a little kick, and guess what happens? Eventually, it dissipates. But imagine if day by day, we were coming to God's Word, and we were richly filling ourselves with God's Word day by day, moment by moment. Look what happens. Day by day, God's Word richly dwelling in you. See the beauty? That's a picture of what your life and my life. Here's the beauty. What started out as water 
Guess what? If you drink it now, what is it now? It's Gatorade. Guess what got formed in here? Gatorade got formed. You see the picture? Christ in you. The Word of God richly dwelling in you. Christ begins to be formed in you. Some of y'all came in here this morning and thought we were going to do like baby baptism or something, like infant baptism. But it's Christ in you. Day by day by day, the Word of God richly dwelling in us. See, when somebody sees that, you know what they see? They see Gatorade. They see Gatorade. And, and it didn't happen accidentally. It happened on purpose. And everything, listen, everything you need, believer, everything you need to live an abundant life has been given to you. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness, the issue is yielding to it. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, listen to me. Just like that, through repentance, through turning to Christ, you can have your sins forgiven, you can, you can have the Spirit sealing you, and you can begin walking with Christ just like that. Believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you say, I've done that, then walk. Yield to the Spirit. God, God has given us His Spirit that we would be strong and courageous, that we, would be, that we would live abundant lives, that we would accurately represent Him. And how? By putting Himself in us. But we've got to yield to that. And it's not going to happen by dabbling in the Word of God. It's not going to happen by casually approaching your Christianity or thinking, well, I had my sins forgiven and now I can go live however I want to live. That's a lie from hell. That's from a lie from Satan. Christ is in you. He's in you. Paul, again, or do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, therefore, glorify God in your bodies. How do you do that? By yielding to Him. Less of Chris, more of Christ. And it's not just coming to God's Word so you can be the, the answer guy. It's coming to God's Word, hiding God's Word in your heart that you would obey it. Obey it. Not just memorizing it, but obeying it. And it's doing the hard things by faith because as God's word, again, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desires of your heart. As you come to this word day after day and it begins to richly dwell in you, all of a sudden your delights become his delights. Why? Because you're full of him and less of you. And now you want to do, you want to obey. God gets great glory by a bunch of people who want to obey, not because they have to obey, but they want to obey. They want to obey. 